everybody, and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Mile High Sports. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. We're here to do some off-season hockey talk for you, of course. And the most pressing matter right now is the expansion draft. The entire NHL world is running around with their hair on fire. Arif, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm excited for these next 10, 12 days of absolute chaos. Uh, the expansion draft lists were released this morning. The expansion draft is Wednesday, and that is so soon and so sudden and has, like you said, is the pressing issue right now that nobody's even realized that the first round of the actual NHL entry draft is two days later. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a weird draft too, right? I mean, nobody really knows that much about the real depth guys this year, so we're, we'll see how that goes. But I guess if there's any time to find a sneaky good draft pick late in the in the draft like the avalanche can right because that's where all their picks are going to be i think this is the year to do it so we'll see and this is also the year to dra trade your first round draft pick because you don't really know what you're going to get you know if you're picking later in the round so if you're the abs and there's a trade out there where you can offload the 28 the 27th overall pick and i don't mean literally offload but uh, actually it's 28th overall if you can trade that draft pick to get something good in return so be it you're not scouting anybody. This isn't Justin Barron or before that, uh, Newhook and Byram and Cout. You don't really know what you're getting unless it's somebody that, you know, in a rare occasion or a rare case where you've actually watched them play. But we'll get to the draft That's later what I was this say. week. All right, all right, Arif. Save it. <laughs> Let's talk about that expansion draft. This is getting fun. Absolutely. Let's just start with the uh, list the Avalanche left um, protected and unprotected. I think most of all, you know, we nailed the defense. We got a majority of the forwards right. I think the real only surprise for us on the list was Logan O'Connor. But of course, we added Gabe Landeskog. So I guess get into the uh, Logan O'Connor edition and just kind of what your overall thoughts on the protected and unprotected list here. So as soon as it started to become apparent that there were some issues with the Gabe Landeskog contract talks, I, I figured he would be unprotected. And obviously that was confirmed yesterday. Mike Chambers got the scoop on that. Uh, the thing that I didn't take into account, and I started to realize this over the last few days, is you need to have two forwards left unprotected that appeared in, I don't know the exact numbers, but I believe it was 70 games combined over the last two seasons or 40 this year. So Logan O'Connor doesn't meet that. Uh, neither does Tynan and Dries and all these other guys. So when you leave Landeskog unprotected, you got to protect. Oh, and they got to be under contract. So it can't be Brandon Saad either. You have to leave both Donskoy and Comfort unprotected. So you got to protect somebody else. And that's why they went the Logan O'Connor route. Uh, the interesting thing is when the Ryan Grace trade happened, which we'll also talk about when Mikhail Maltsev came back, in my mind, I thought first that that's what he was going to be brought in for, to be that second guy that can be left unprotected so you can protect Donskoy and let you know Seattle choose between Maltsev and Comfer. But even Maltsev didn't reach the game's played minimum threshold. So now you're stuck in a situation where you had to take O'Connor instead of Donskoy and just kind of hope, I think if you're the Avalanche and for fans, that Seattle decides that they need a centerman more and takes Comfort because I think we can all agree right now that Donskoy brings more to the Avs than, than JT Comfort does in this current day. I'm with that, but I also think, you know, and we've discussed this a couple times, that Donskoy just doesn't quite meet the ceiling that you were expecting of him. So if you were to replace a Donskoy, you can probably bring in somebody for a similar cap hit that might be able to produce a little bit more consistently for you. Not that he wasn't great. Yeah. I liked him a lot of times, but his he was just so streaky a lot of times, and we already have that in a guy in Andre Burovkovsky. 
Yeah, and that goes back to the talk we've been having all summer long of, you know, Burakovsky and Donskoy and Nichushkin are all, you know, skilled players and you need more chippy players. So regardless, I don't think it's going to hurt the Avalanche too much if they lose Donskoy instead of Comfer. But I do like the fact that, like we discussed, they went out and traded of the three guys that were going to be left unprotected in Donskoy, Comfer, and Graves, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. They had to trade one and they went out and traded the one with the most value, which is always the defenseman. And they got a damn good return for somebody who was going to be taken by Seattle pretty much for free. And it was a given. So would you call that a good return? I I absolutely will. Because in order to get Devon Taves, who had Norris trophy votes, they gave up two second rounders in order to offload Ryan Graves, who was going to be taken by Seattle. They got a second rounder and a depth forward that's actually going to play NHL games. That's pretty much three quarters of the way, if not better than what the Islanders got for Devon Taves, because you never know with two second rounders. At least with Maltsev, you have somebody who you know is, in my opinion, going to slot right into your fourth line center role. I think Maltsev is going to be the fourth line centerman on opening night. And then you get a second rounder number 60 overall or number 61 overall from the Islanders, but you obviously traded number 60 overall to the Islanders for Devon Taves. Um, So it kind of cancels out. I mean, you got the draft pick from New Jersey, but it's the Islanders' pick coincidentally. Now, I know we went over this, but let's just refresh a little bit. Um, You know, how about the thought process behind protecting a guy like Val Nachushkin over Donskoy? Because I think we can all agree Donskoy definitely is a, a better forward yeah, especially at producing goals. We can definitely agree on that. So why the Val Nachuskin? Is it simply because they like his cap hit? They like his style more so than a guy like Donskoy? Donskoy is easier to replace than Nachushkin. Donskoy is a guy that scores you a few goals. Nachushkin is a guy that kills penalties, plays a two-way game, uh, and and just provides good analytical numbers in terms of uh, offensive production and, 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 uh, and all the things that you look for in a forward that is a complete player ultimately a lot more so than Donskoy. So usually it's it's going to get to a point eventually where you got to take the far more skilled offensive player than the than the two-way player, but Donskoy isn't far more skilled. He's just a little bit more skilled. He only provides a little bit more offense, so it makes sense to take the Chushkin, and, and that's why that I've stuck with that since the beginning. And one other thing we did get wrong is we protected Francouz. Little did we know he was actually exempt as well. He hasn't played enough NHL games too. Yep, I, I completely, that one completely slipped my mind, but here we are. Philip Grubauer is the one being protected. Uh, to me, that doesn't say that he's for sure coming back. That just says it looks stupid to unprotect, to protect Miska or Johansson. Let's protect the guy that we at least can have a shot of re-signing rather than one of these guys that are, Seattle's not going to touch him anyway. Right. I've, I've heard the uh, argument from a few Avs fans that, well, if they're protecting Grubauer, then why are they leaving Landeskog unprotected? But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just more of a formality. That's why, because there's forwards that you can protect in place of Landeskog that are actually worth protecting that you don't want to risk losing. There isn't a goaltender that you can protect in place of Grubauer. I mean, we thought it would be Francouz, but that's not the case. Uh, and on top of that, I think there's a little bit of the avalanche telling Landis God, go out and talk to another team and see what you're truly worth and then come back to us. And and I think that's kind of the pressing issue right now is is Landis God, and we'll get into it. Landis God feels like he's worth a lot. The avalanche have drawn the line and now they want to tell him, go out and talk to other teams and see if that's really the number that you're worth. 
Yeah, last thing I wanted to get to on the protection list before we move on to all the other topics we've missed in the last week is the defensive group. Like I said, we nailed that, but now we have a little better look at the group we'll be going with, right? It's Gerard McCarr, Taves, Johnson, Timmons, Byram. Um, there's been a lot of talk of maybe Suter joining the mix, uh, maybe even Keith Yandel. What What are your opinion? Do you, do you think we need an addition in this defensive group, or do you think this is the six you ride with? No, you need an addition. You, th- those are not the six you ride with. You bring in one more guy, Connor Timmons and Jacob McDonald are your seven and eight. And not because they're not good, but because you need depth defense to make a long run. And we've been talking about this for years. The The trade of Eric Johnson, the trade of Ian Cole and the injury of Eric Johnson kind of sunk this team in the defensive style that they like to play. Let's not go down that road over and over and over again. Ryan Suter, to me, is a great one. Granted, he's not a physical piece, but uh, I don't think that's the biggest issue with the Avalanche's defense because they brought in Patrick Nimith, and we saw how that turned out. So uh, long story short, yes, they do need one more defenseman. Right, absolutely. So moving on to the Landeskog saga. Of course, we're hearing a lot of back and forth from both sides. It sounds like there's still a pretty marginal gap between the two um so i guess what are you thinking are you thinking this is a little bit of posturing from both sides ultimately a deal will get done or do you think there's a lot of truth to what's being told out there and that there is a a little bit of animosity between the two uh there isn't a little bit and it's not about truth or not truth that there there absolutely is animosity the quotes from ryan baugh's story on the athletic about gabe landeskog being disappointed with where this is at wanting, you know, openly saying that he preferred to get this done six to eight months ago and was told to wait until now. Like all of these different quotes and all these different things coming out have kind of brought this to a situation where you never want a negotiation to go. It got personal, emotions got in the way, and that is the last thing you want in any negotiation. As soon as that happens, you can pretty much kiss the player goodbye. And I don't know for sure that that means Gabe Landeskog's gone, but Landeskog feels slighted. I tweeted that yesterday. He feels slighted. He feels disrespected. If he's blindsided on top of all the contract talks by the fact that the avalanche left him unprotected, maybe there was a conversation from Sakic, like I was saying, where he said, go out and talk to Seattle. Let's see what you're worth on the market and then come back to us. That's fine. But if Landeskog was thrown off by being left unprotected on top of everything that's been going on, then... It could be the last straw. He's he's not happy with the organization right now. Things could change on a dime, but there absolutely is animosity. As soon as feelings get in the way, as soon as it gets personal, it starts to become a bigger hurdle to jump because it's no longer about money. It's about feelings, respect, your pride, your ego, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And where I was going with the truth to it, right, is... You'd like to think that there's such a good relationship between Joe Sackick and Gabe Landeskog that maybe this is a little bit for show, right? That behind closed doors that they are being a little bit more friendly and they maybe even are closer to a deal than we're led to believe. But you can't argue with what's being reported, right? I'm not calling anybody a liar or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely at a point where Avs fans need to worry about losing the captain. But at the same time, it's not the end of the world. Think how many teams in the NHL history have lost their captain. It's okay. I just think here in Colorado, we're a little bit more close to our captains than um, we should be just because of, of history. But I think, you know, if, if they lose a guy like Gabe Landeskog, there's definitely another captain in the waiting. And, um, you know, Eric Johnson might still be around. He could be a very good candidate for that. And there's there's definitely replacements. I mean, he's a good player and we love him around here, but he's by no means a franchise player that you need to break the bank for here. 
And I think that's the biggest thing right now is the Avalanche have to gauge kind of the balance between this is Gabe Landeskog. He's been a warrior. He's been a soldier for us for 10 years, for an entire decade of his life. He has given it all to this franchise. And when things went south and other players wanted out, he said, I want to see this thing through. And he has. And he's had point per game seasons. And this year he had 52 points in 54 games. And we saw his his. uh how what what he did in the blue series to win them that series and we saw how much he meant for the avalanche i wonder if part of his mindset during that when he said you know what i'm going to stick it out i don't want to be traded was him thinking in the future but when my contract's up you guys better fork over the money and that seems to be the stance he's taken right i mean i've seen a couple jerry Maguire memes out there and i think that's kind of super appropriate for the situation I mean, it's it's one of those things where hindsight's twenty twenty. You don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, but where things have gone, yeah, I could see why he wants a lot of money. But I can also see why the Avalanche are, you know, pressing the brakes a little bit. Gabe Landeskog is going to be 29 in November. Gabe Landeskog is going to be a great player for the next two, three, four, maybe five, maybe six years. But if you're paying him seven and a half to eight and a half million for seven years, when those last couple years come around and you're trying to win a cup and you have this anchor on your team, it's going to be an issue. Players, or sorry, teams need to understand, or, or sorry, fans need to understand that teams sometimes have to make business decisions. And sometimes those business decisions mean losing your best players. Because if you don't do that, you end up with the Brent Seabrook contract. I mean, look look at Nashville right now, right? I yeah, mean, Nashville, they have Johansson. Somebody take Johansson. Somebody take Duchesne, please. Johansson and Duchesne are both left unprotected, but those aren't lifers. You end up like Anaheim when they gave Corey Perry eight years at eight and a half, and then he got bought out, and now Corey Perry's jumping around the NHL, making league men, going to the Stanley Cup Finals, poor guy, twice in a row, and losing both times to the Tampa Bay Lightning. If you're Gabe Landeskog, you got to look at that. You got to look at your comparables. Look at Dustin Brown with the LA Kings. He won a couple Stanley Cups. They gave him a long-term deal. He was able to kind of turn it around the last couple of years, but for a little bit, he was putting up 20, 25 points while making a lot of money. So if you're Gabe Landeskog, those are the guys you need to look at to say, am I going to end up like that? And if you're the Avalanche, those are the guys you look at where you say, we have Kale McCarr, who's 22 years old. We have Nathan McKinnon, who's got two more years and then he's going to sign a big deal, but he's good for a while. Miko Rantanen, so on and so forth. You are going to be a good team with or without the same cast, kind of like the Capitals and the Penguins, how they've had like two or three different cores in the Ovechkin-Crosby era. That's where you are as the Avalanche. The core you have now is not the core you're going to have in five, six, seven years, but you're likely still going to be a contender. If you have a contract that's going to strap your salary and and kind of saddle your 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 cap space, it's going to ruin that. And Gabe Landeskog, I understand him wanting to get paid, but I understand the Avalanche kind of drawing the line like five years. We don't want to give term more than five. We don't want to give a number more than I think it was six and a half was the last reported number uh, from sources uh, from from league sources close to Gabe Landeskog. It was six and a half million over five years, I think. And and I don't blame them. This is what it's come to. When we talked last episode about the comparison to the Nugent Hopkins deal, the reason why I said that was because I said to myself, maybe Gabe Landeskog is okay with that mindset. He's content with where he's at because he's made $40 million on another contract. But it seems like, rightfully so, I am not bashing the player. It seems like he wants to cash in again. But on the Avalanche side, you just can't do it. You cannot give him seven over seven. You cannot give him eight million over six years or any kind of crazy numbers like that. Right. It's going to take some flexibility from both sides. I mean, like you're saying, exactly. you're not you're not throwing stones at Landeskog here for wanting to get money. Um, 
but you also don't want people to throw stones at him for being greedy here. It'd be the same with the Avalanche. You don't want them to draw too hard of a line that they're saying, no, we're not going past X number or you walk. You, you got to meet somewhere in the middle, maybe a little bit closer to the Avalanche's side if possible. But yeah, it, it, both sides are going to have to work together if they're going to get it done. And I think both sides want to get it done, right? I mean, despite yeah. the little bit of anger that might be brewing up, I still think at the end of the day, he wants to be here and they want him here. Um, but, you know, I, I honestly think it's a 50-50 shot at this point. I'm on the fence. I, I don't know where it's going to end up. That is where I'm at. I'm at 50-50 as well. I like what Elliot Friedman said the other day. He said, the Avalanche are a smart organization, and Joe Sackick and, and, and Chris McFarland run a tight ship over there, and they run a really great, classy organization. And then he stopped and said, none of us expected Gabe Landeskog to get to this point. But if Gabe Landeskog walks, what are the Avalanche thinking? They have something up their sleeve. There's no way you're looking at Gabe Landeskog walking and saying, oh, damn it. Well, now Donskoy is a top liner. Like it's it's not that easy. They have to have something planned. It could be as simple as Zach Hyman come on down because the Toronto Maple Leafs are dealing with the same situation with him and he plays a similar game to uh, Gabe Landeskog. Or maybe it's a trade. Maybe the Avalanche are looking at someone like, I know this is a pipe dream, but maybe the Avalanche are looking at someone like Matthew Kachuk, who's kind of on the market right now. Maybe they're looking at that next player that plays a similar style chippy game to Gabe Landeskog, but is five, six years younger. Or maybe it's as simple as someone, like I said, like Zach Hyman or bringing back Brandon Saad. Yeah, I mean, you can also test free agency, right? I mean, with Don, with whoever Seattle ends up taking, that's about four mil off your books. Graves, that's about just under four mil. And then uh, Landeskog, that's 13 mil that's freeing up that you could definitely get yeah. a couple guys for. Exactly. And that's when guys like Zach Hyman sort of come into play. That's a player that I would love to see the Avalanche target. But We'll, bar, you know, we'll, we'll cross that road when we get there because right now the Avalanche and Gabe Landeskog still have 10 days to figure this out. Granted, for the next three or four days, they can't really talk because it's, you know, the roster is in a freeze and Seattle has exclusive rights to talk to Gabe right now. But after that, uh, like you said, both sides got both sides got to give a little bit. And if you're the Avalanche and if you're Gabe Landeskog, you need to give a little bit on the cap side or you need to give a little bit on the uh term side in order to make this work because this is a marriage that shouldn't end this way sticking with the worst case scenario if he does decide to walk and go somewhere else what does that do to the locker room do you think there's much of an impact is he that close with a lot of the players that you know there's some negativity for a little while and maybe even some sadness or or do you think they just move right along and plug and play and and keep going absolutely there will be sadness absolutely absolutely it'll send shockwaves through the locker room uh but you can't tell me the players in there don't understand why it's happening. Well, I point to one thing. I think Tyson Berry probably would have made a bigger impact when he left than Landeskog would have. It felt like Tyson Berry was more of a, a guy's guy, right? He was more friends with everybody, where Landeskog kind of has to be the bad cop sometimes, that he probably wasn't exactly you know close with everyone. I bet you Tyson Berry would be felt more than Landeskog leaving. I, I don't know. I In the locker room. Yeah, no, from no. A locker yeah, room yeah, from standpoint. a locker room standpoint, I get that, but I also see the way Gabe interacts with his teammates, and they absolutely love him. I mean, him and Miko, it's, it's, it's one of the mm -hmm. cutest couples in yep. the NHL. They're awesome together. What Gabe Dude has won since Nathan and Tyson. Yes, exactly. What Gabe has done for Nathan McKinnon over these last seven, eight years, however long McKinnon has been in the league, sort of you can't take that for granted. Even guys like Nikita 100%. Zadorov, remember how close he was. Eric Johnson and Gabe Landeskog are like this in the horse racing. And the, remember last year with the bikes and the pictures of them biking? Like they, those guys love each other, man. Like all of these guys love Gabe Landeskog. The Swedes on the team, obviously, Andre Burakovsky, no more Nemeth and Soderberg, but Burakovsky loves Gabe Landeskog. He will be missed 
I think, look, I, I understand it from a business standpoint. I understand why the Avalanche would choose to let that happen. And if he goes and signs, like, let's say, let's throw a random knee, number and team, as much as it would sting. The St. Louis Blues signed Gabe Landeskog to a six-year deal at $8.2 million per year. I'm going to look at that from a business standpoint, from looking at it with your brain and say, yeah, that that's not something the Avalanche could pay. That's absolutely fine. That's absolutely right for the Avalanche to walk away. From uh, from when you look at it from the point with your heart, you look at this, and, and this is the part that I was saying a little bit ago, Gabe Landeskog and the Avalanche is not a marriage that should end this way. And it's unfortunate that that's going to be what happens if Gabe walks and if he gets a bigger deal elsewhere, which he has every right to. I am not throwing stones at Gabe. But if you look at the avalanche with this guy and what he's done with this team for a decade and what they were hoping for him to do for another half decade or another full decade, this was the kind of guy that was going to get his jersey number retired. This was the kind of guy that you wanted to be the first one to raise the Stanley Cup someday. This was the kind of guy that if the marriage ever ended, it ends the way that Duncan Keith ended in Chicago where you shake hands, you hug it out, and you say, thanks for the three cups. Thanks for all you've done. Now go to Edmonton and live closer to your kid. But that's not the case here. That to me is the biggest part of this marriage, if it ends this way, is the fact that Landeskog and the Avalanche should have never ended this way if that's what happens. And that's why I think it will play a factor in the locker room, but on the but deep, deep down inside, every player in there knows we've lost players before. We lost Semyon Varlamov. We've now lost Gabe Landeskog. We've lost Tyson Berry. These are players that we care deeply about, but it's business as usual. We know why we're losing these guys. It's a tough business and we got to go out and play. But despite all of that, they will feel it. I really like your point uh, of what he's done for Nathan McKinnon. Um, you know, I think you take Landeskog out of that locker room and I don't know if there's any players in there that would be willing to stand up to Nathan McKinnon. You know, sometimes he gets derailed and he needs to get back on yes. track. And Landis Gog's usually the guy to do that. I mean, you'll never forget the image of Landis Gog picking him up by the jersey when he fell backwards on the bench, right? And just yeah, uh, when he was throwing his temper tantrum. So, you know, I, I think Nathan McKinnon would be more than na- capable of handling it. He has a, definitely a, a sphere around him that he can lean on, but I think... For day-to-day operations, Landeskog is huge for Nathan McKinnon's mentality and kind of teaching him how to be a leader on his way through his career. Yeah, and this is one of those things where if you were wondering if COVID affected the avalanche, well, here it is. Because without COVID, the salary cap would likely be around $88 million right now over the last two years of growth. And uh, you can give Landeskog, you can give Landeskog $9 million, $8.5 million, and we wouldn't even bat an eye to it. We wouldn't even care. But here we are. COVID happened. The cap is flat. And Gabe doesn't want that to affect his contract, which is his right, because he has that value. And you are worth what someone is willing to offer you. And if other teams are willing to give you seven or eight million, that's what you're worth, man. And that's fine. But that's how it's affected the avalanche. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard to say that the avalanche would definitely be able to just keep moving forward without skipping a beat. But at the same time, you got to think he is definitely somebody that can be replaced. He's good. I like what he brings to the table, but there's a, a handful of guys like him, and uh, he's don't, by no means one of those guys that's a, a, a franchise player. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm picking my words carefully, and that was the wrong one. No, 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 no. I, I understand what you're saying because there's, there's, no, no, there's a few players in the league that would be felt the way that it would be felt if 
they if they went away and Gabe is not one of those guys. If the Avalanche lose McKinnon, if the Avalanche lose Makar, if the Penguins lose Crosby, if the Oilers lose Dreisaitl or McDavid, if uh, the St. Louis Blues lose Ryan O'Reilly, if the Boston Bruins lose Marshawn or Pasternak, even Bergeron, even though he's older, if they lose McAvoy, if the Dallas Stars lose Miro Heiskanen, so on and so forth. It's that upper echelon of players that if you were a kid like me playing NHL EA sports games, those were the guys that were always 95 to 99 overalls. Those were the guys that were can't miss. You just cannot lose these guys. It would be the Avalanche when they lost Peter Forsberg. It would be the Detroit Red Wings when they lost Sergei Fedorov. It's the guys that make your team truly who they are. And Gabe Landeskog is a lot to this team, but he's not that level of player. And, and that's not a sign of disrespect to him. That's just the reality. Yep. Agreed 100%. And of course, he can get that much money on a much weaker team like we've been saying, right? So it's yeah. uh, up to and, him. And I feel, I feel if, if he's not here, uh, you better get used to division rival matchups against the line of David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, and Gabe Landeskog because he will end up in St. Louis. And that would be hard. What if the Avs can somehow wheel Tarasenko out of that if Seattle doesn't take him, that is? That would be hilarious. I mean, I think the Avalanche, if you lose Landeskog, and especially if he goes to the Blues, you don't just go after Tarasenko. Like you said, you have room to get two guys. You go out and sign Jaden Schwartz, who's an unrestricted free agent too, and you say, you got our guys, we got your guys. Or Krejci and Hall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, there's Bring so many. Bring a package. Yeah, there's so many options out there, but that's the thing. I mean, look, I'm where you are. I'm at 50-50 on Gabe Landeskog coming back. Um, but if I had to... I, I can't even put a prediction on it. If I had to put a prediction on him signing a contract, I think the Avalanche give a little bit on the number and Gable gives a little bit on the term and it ends up being five years at 725 per year. 7.25, 7.3, something like that, but five years. The Avalanche go into the sevens, but Gabe has to drop down to five years. I think that's the that's what they're going to meet in the middle. But if Gabe moves on, it'll suck. I don't think it would be good for the Avalanche if Gabe moves on, but if it does, it's it's just another hurdle. It's just another part of the process. You got to move on. You got to move forward, and you got to make do with what you have and and make the best of a situation. I guess one thing that we've ignored in this whole conversation, and it's mainly because I don't think it's going to happen, is Seattle taking a guy like Landis Gog and them coming to a deal before all this uh, culminates here. But I, I don't see that being the situation. I, I don't see Seattle giving Gabe what he would want in order to join an expansion team, and I don't see Gabe wanting to do that. And at that price, there's so many better options available yeah. for you to yeah. take. So it makes it makes the most sense for a team like St. Louis. It doesn't make as much sense as that for a team like Seattle. Moving along here, uh, we haven't had the chance since our last podcast to discuss EJ moving his no-move clause. Of course, we've talked about it a couple times and alluded to it, so we don't have to get too deep. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on um, you know, how, how easy of a decision do you think this was for him? Do you think it was something he had to mull over? I mean, we, we've kind of known about this all season long, right? I mean, we talked with Ryan Clark about it when he joined our podcast. When was that? January? Last yeah, no, that was before the season. December, so September, September, October, November, something around there, yeah. So he's obviously had time to think about it, but do you think it was an easy decision for him? Yes, and I think two things made it an easy decision since we did that podcast with Ryan Clark and we talked about it. Number one, his injuries and the fact that he played in three or four games this year. And number two, the growth of Devon Taves into not the, uh, could he overtake Ryan Graves as a top line defenseman to he's getting Norris Trophy votes and he's a can't miss player. 
so I think the Avalanche are at that point where, or sorry, Eric Johnson's at that point where he realized because of my injuries, because of the growth of this player, Seattle's not going to touch me. I'm not stupid. As much as I want to not leave this team, I'm going to see things clearly, use my brain, and I understand that nobody's going to take me. So let's keep the band together because I want to play with Devon Taves and Sam Gerrard and Kale McCarr next year. You hit the nail on the freaking head. That was exact, my exact take. I mean, he's always been such a reasonable and logical person that I think he can easily look up and see, all right, they protected. They want to protect Taves, Gerard, and Makar. All three of those guys are realistically better than me, so I'm not offended by that. I want to stick around, and this is the way I'm going to. It's not just that they're better than me. It's that he understands, and you got to put a lot of ego and pride mm-hmm. aside to understand this. He understands that Seattle's not going to touch him. And that's what makes it easier for him to do it. If this was after last season when he played well in the bubble and his presence was missed against the Dallas series, then it becomes a little bit harder. Then it becomes, well, you know, they might look at me as a veteran, but he's not going to, he's going to look and be like, I played four games. I got injured on a hit early in the season. I've had injury issues. I'm a lot older. I'm not stupid. Seattle's not going to take me with my $6 million contract. It's Roberto Luongo going up to the podium and saying my contract sucks. It's being able to understand, aside from your pride, aside from your ego, that this is the current reality of the situation, which is why I went back to saying when the Avalanche, if the locker room ends up losing Gabe Landeskog, as much as it'll hurt deep down inside, they'll understand why it's happening. Yeah, exactly. I'm with that. So uh, I don't anticipate EJ going anywhere, but let's stick with the defenseman here and the conversation, just like we're having with Landis Gog. It's a similar one for Makar, but not nearly as much stress or worry. But I think the main reason we have to talk about Makar again is the comparable in Miro Heiskanen signing his deal this past week. What I think it was eight years, 8.45 average. Um, so, you know, Miro Heiskanen's a great defenseman. Um, Makar is great as well, maybe even a little bit better, but not by much. So I guess we can kind of see the ballpark of what to expect from Makar, right? Yeah, so Miro Haskinen compared to Kel Makar, the the thing that makes him that the thing that made him lose a little bit of money is the fact that he's not had a breakout season in the regular season yet. He had 27 points in 55 games, he had 35 and 68 in 2020 and he had 33 and 82 in his rookie season. Great numbers, but he hasn't had that one like breakout 55, 60 point season that he's likely going to have, by the way, five or six or seven times over the next eight years under this contract. But what made him gain a lot of money was, do you remember the kind of run that dude had in the bubble? He had six goals and 26 points in 27 games. He demolished the avalanche in their series. He was an absolute stud. He was amazing. And that's when the conversation started to happen of, oh, well, maybe McCarr's not the best young defenseman in the NHL. Maybe it's Miro Haskinen. The difference between him and Makar is Kale has had those strong seasons. He's had Norris Trophy votes, with which Heiskanen has not had. He's had point-per-game seasons, and he's operated pretty much at a point-per-game almost since he came into the NHL. So if you're Kale Makar, you look at Miro Heiskanen, and you say, I'm a little bit better than that, which he is. But if you're the Avalanche, you look at that 8.45 number, and you suddenly think, wow, maybe we can get Kale for 9 or 9.5 over a long-term deal. Maybe we can sign him to a similar contract as Miko Ranton, and maybe, just maybe, we don't go the 10.5 and $11 million that we thought we may have had to do. See, I'm the opposite mindset. I'm, I'm seeing, if I'm the Avalanche, I'm seeing that 8.45, and I'm thinking, man, that's about 0.45 more than I was expecting or hoping. I was hoping more, more around the 8 mark. So going up to 9 would be stretching it for me because, you know, you're still trying to save money for a Landeskog deal or 
the free agent you might have to replace him with. So any dollar you can save at this point is huge. Um, again, I would have liked eight, but um, I'm okay with nine. Ten is too much. Yeah, and if it's if it's for an eight year uh, if it's for an eight year contract, I'm fine with McCarr getting ten million. I I truly think it's okay because he's that good of a player. But if you can get him into the nine range, if you can get him at nine point two five or nine point three, and similar to what Miko Rantanen makes, well, now you suddenly have this kind of this mark set for Nathan McKinnon where all three guys could be making similar amount of dollars, all of them making in the low nines or mid nines range. Granted, McKinnon is worth like 12 or 13. Who the hell knows what he gets? But now suddenly you have all these guys that took less, kind of like Vasilevsky and Kucherov and Stamkos, all entirely different players, but hovering around the same salary cap number. You can kind of hope for the same thing here with Kel McCarr and Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon. But if McCarr makes one or two million more than Rantanen, then suddenly McKinnon's going to make one or two million more than that. But if you can get them all on on a evil level playing field, things suddenly look better for your salary cap situation. So I'm fine with ten, but I think he's going to end up in the low nines. I mean, this is all just nuts. Everything that's going on, right? I mean, the the, the Macar juggling, the Landeskog juggling, on top of the lowered salary cap with the uh, expansion draft. I mean, everything going on, and you're seeing it across the NHL, right? It's it's uh it's crazy how much different. Teams are running it than the last time, than in 2017, right? They're just, I don't know. That's just nuts. It's fun watching all the chaos. It's fun sitting back and just seeing what's going down. But at the same time, you're like, all right, like there's a lot of change that's coming with both free agents and this expansion. Everything's going to be different, and you're noticing those growing pains right now. Yeah, it's the flat cap and it's the expansion. So after the 2017 expansion draft, you kind of had this feeling of like teams learned their lesson. They're going to let Seattle take one player and that's it. It's done. Get the hell out of my face. Take your Donsko, your Comfort and go to hell. That's it. We're done. But now what we're starting to see is a flat cap. So teams are leaving guys like Carey Price and Vladimir Tarasenko and, and Jacob Voracek and Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson. Like these are big names that are available And uh, James Van Reems, like I think I said that one, these are big names available to the Seattle Kraken, to Ron Francis. And it's because of the flat cap. And that flat cap has kind of rejuvenated Seattle's chances at getting good players. Because a couple of years ago, it was kind of this thought of like, they're not going to be as good as Vegas because teams have learned. So now you have teams making all these trades. You have all of this roster movement happening. Ryan Ellis going to Philly, that is an underratedly good move. But you're starting to see trades where players that could have been left unprotected and taken in the expansion draft, getting traded to other teams where they can be protected. Hence the Ryan Grace trade, which we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, or sorry, which we already talked a little bit about with uh, the acquisition of Maltsev, who's probably going to play on the fourth line. And then you saw Toronto do the same thing. They traded for Jared McCann from Pittsburgh, who was likely going to get taken. Uh, but weirdly enough, Toronto didn't protect him either, which is weird. So I'm expecting them to have some kind of a side deal with Seattle. But we saw it with Nolan Patrick getting traded for Cody Glass. The Vegas Golden Knights said, we're done with the Cody Glass experiment. The Flyers said, we're done with the Nolan Patrick experiment. We don't want to protect him. So they used Nolan Patrick as a trade chip with Philip Myers to get Ryan Ellis, which is an amazing pickup for them. And then Nashville turned around and said, we're not protecting Nolan Patrick either. Get the hell out of here. Traded him to the one team that doesn't need to protect anybody because they're exempt from from the draft. And they got Cody Glass, who was exempt himself. So it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of things are happening right now. Those are just some of the trades that have been going on. But uh, I'm excited, man. This is a lot of fun. This is perhaps the closest we've seen the NHL get to the NBA off seasons that we're always jealous about. This is about the closest we've seen. 
I mean, I don't even think Seattle anticipated having this good of a list in front of them, right? I mean, have have you tried to do the uh, expansion tool on Cat Friendly yet? Build yeah, your- I have. It's, it's hard. It's crazy. It's so yeah. hard. Um, there's so many good players to choose from, and then, of course, you got to manage the cap, and that's kind of wh- where it falls, right? Where does Seattle want to be when it comes to the cap? Do they want to be closer to the floor? I doubt they want to be closer to the ceiling, um, but, you know, it's kind of up to them how good they want to be here, and that's that's really fascinating. I mean, the, the amount of goalies that are out there and quality, quality goalies, I mean, Bishop, Quick, like you said, Price. There's still Jonathan a, Quick. I forgot about that one. Yeah, there's there's so many good goalies out there. There's so many good forwards. I mean, they could get a top six. I mean, it, they're gonna have to pay a lot for it, but they could get a legitimate top six. They could get some a handful of good defensemen. I mean, I wasn't exactly in love with the uh, available defensemen out there, but as far as forwards and goaltending goes, they can really make some noise if they wanted to. Yeah, and I think one of my one of my favorite chaos scenarios would be them taking Carey Price. Carey Price grew up in Vancouver. He knows a lot about the Seattle area. I believe he has a lot of roots there as well. Montreal kind of left him unprotected because Jake Allen is a valuable piece to us. So let's keep the band together. Kind of like, you know, Eric Johnson waving for the other defensemen. But I think deep down inside, Mark Bergevin and the Canadians are also like, we love Carey Price and we'd love for him to stay. And that's why we're protecting Jake Allen because he would likely for sure get taken. But at the same time, if Seattle wants to take Carey Price, ten and a half million off our book. So we dare you to dare us to dare you to take him. And they've got Caden Primo waiting in the in the works, right? And he's just aging down there in the AHL. So Yeah, and and but but here's the funny thing is the absolute chaos and madness it would create among Habs fans and NHL fans if Carey Price got taken in the expansion draft would be second to none. It would be so much fun. I think so, we would see tears. We'd see some burning jerseys. We would see uh, some memorials at the at the stadium near a statue of some sort. It would be Mark Bergevin quarantining for fourteen days for the purpose of his safety. Like we would see <laughs> a lot of things happening. Carey Price is a legend in Montreal, and while people love to hate on him, even his own fans, making it to the Stanley Cup final this year has made everybody rally around him. And we've seen this team lose goalies in weird ways before. We saw it with Patrick Waugh. This was the last thing that they would want for another one of their franchise goalies. And another little fun bit uh, uh, for chaos, like I tweeted earlier this morning, Colin Miller, who was taken by the Vegas Golden Knights in 2017, is available and unprotected for Seattle to take right now from Buffalo. And I think Eric Halla is part of that list too. So that'd be fun if they somehow get uh, expansion drafted twice. And then uh, I had a listener or a follower I guess tweet back at me and saying how fun it would be if Kerfoot and Butcher ended up on the same team remember how they were traded for each other several Uh, years back and they're both uh, yeah they were traded with air quotes yeah right right so uh and in the expansion draft team I built I had both of them getting taken so you know I think it's definitely a possibility but it'd be fun to see some crazy stuff and it was it was also crazy to see and maybe it just stands out because I've been around the team and I, I see a lot of these names that look familiar but crazy to see how many former avs are left unprotected out there around the nhl yeah i mean shout out to matt duchene once again yeah. but he kind of topped he, he tops that list and uh tyson berry obviously as a free agent is on that list as well if i'm not mistaken so there's there's quite a few guys that they can pick from don't you look at nashville right now and just see them waving the white flag and just say just doing everything they can to rebuild i mean getting rid of ellis yeah. getting rid of arvidson hoping that Duchesne or Johansson gets taken. I mean, it just seems like they are 
try, trying everything to backpedal here. David Poyle, David Poyle is doing what he calls a competitive rebuild, uh, kind of like a retool, but I think he's, he's kind of in over his head because of those contracts. It's just how hard it's going to be when you have that much money tied to players that are average. So, uh, it's, it's going to be harder for him to be as competitive quicker, but, um, lot going on man there's so much going on and there's free agents out there again we'll we'll get into the free agency thing in another episode because we're going to be churning these out with the expansion draft with the nhl draft with with free agency it's gonna be a lot of episodes talking about a lot of different things but zach parisi's available ryan Suter's available Jaden schwartz potentially gabe landeskog you have the Ilya sorokin with the new york islanders remember that whole situation if varley stays then sorokin's a free agent if they sign free sorokin then maybe varley's on the trade market darcy kemper's on the trade market tarasenko's on the trade market Seth Jones was rumored to be going to the Flyers while they went the Ryan Ellis route. So now Seth Jones has to find another home. Is it going to be in Chicago with his brother, Caleb Jones? Is it going to be with the Avalanche? Is it going to be elsewhere? It's going to be a lot of fun is what I'm saying. And and I'm excited and I'm here for it. I know it's just speculation city right now, right? That's all the whole NHL world is right now. Um, you know, I mentioned Nashville because, of course, that's a Central Division opponent. Um, Arizona now moving to the Central Division, and they just look like such a weak team. I, I When I was doing my mock draft for Seattle, there wasn't anybody on that team I even wanted. But how about that trade that they were able to wheel with the Islanders where they sent back nothing? <laughs> yeah. Here's Andrew Ladd. Take his money. But this is what people don't understand. This is what it costs. This is why teams are leaving players unprotected like Johansson, like Duchesne. This is what it costs to get rid of players with salary off your books. The Toronto Maple Leafs had to pay a first round draft pick to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. And that first round draft pick ended up being like 10th overall or some crazy number like that. This is what it costs. It was two second rounders and potentially another draft pick. Um, The first second rounder is guaranteed. The second second rounder is going to be the worst of the Avalanche or Islanders seconds because obviously they have the Avs pick in the Devon Taves trade. The third draft pick is a third rounder. They get that one if Andrew Ladd plays a game the following season in 22-23, which he likely will because he's healthy and the Coyotes need to play the players that they're paying for. So they're going to get two seconds and a third just to take on Andrew Ladd, who's going to play on their team. That's what it costs. Lou Lamorello had to pay a big hefty price there. So shout out to the Coyotes. And if you remember, the Coyotes are the team with very minimal draft picks because of all they had to give up for that scandal last year. And uh, they needed draft capital and they got it. You know, looking around the Central Division, though, now that I think about it, it's same, you know, especially thinking about Tarasenko and Landeskog and Suter, Parise, Arizona, how terrible they are. Bishop could possibly be on the way out of Dallas, Nashville. The Central Division is taking some hits right now. It's up for grabs. The Minnesota Wild look good. I I genuinely believe the Wild are in a good place, and I think they're going to make a big run for Jack Eichel. Um, but yeah, things are looking a little a little wonky right now. I think the Avs, the Blues, and the Wild are going to be your top three next year, and after that, who the hell knows? I mean, the Dallas Stars are supposed to be good. I've been told over the last three years, even though they beat the Avs, I just don't know. Um, the Coyotes are the Coyotes, and. Nashville and Chicago and all these other teams are just kind of like floating in mediocrity at this point. It's crazy right now as we wrap up the podcast, just thinking how, you know, with this exciting expansion draft at the forefront of the hockey world, really for Avs fans, Landeskog is the conversation of of choice right now, right? I mean, that's at the front of the mind. That's what everybody's thinking about and most worried about. At this point, they protected a good list. 
take Comfort, take Donskoy, whatever, we don't care. Landeskog is the priority right now, and it's it's kind of taken away from the fun of the uh, expansion draft. Well, yeah, I mean, if the if you're the Avalanche, trading Ryan Graves was was a good choice because you put yourself in a situation as fans and as management where you knew all along, Comfort and Donskoy, these are going to be the guys you're going to get rid of. One of them is going to be taken by the Seattle Kraken. But yeah, I mean, for 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 good reason. The Landeskog marriage with this team, the Landeskog captaincy, what he's done for a decade, it doesn't go unnoticed. And and like I said, beyond all the business decisions, beyond everything, the hardest thing about this, the hardest thing to stomach is the idea of Gabe Landeskog and the Avalanche ending in a divorce, in a bad way, in a negative light. Gabe Landeskog never raising a cup for the Avs. Gabe Landeskog not having his jersey number retired. And everything kind of ending in the way that it's going to end if he ends up walking this summer. That's the hardest part to stomach. It's the Gabe Landeskog marriage. You don't want it to end in a divorce. You want it to end on good terms. And the way it's ending right now is anything but that. After all they've been through, right? After all they've been through. Exactly. After all they've done, after all the growth that this team has endured, after giving him the captaincy at 19 years old, something that not a lot of players get after... Everything that this team has had to do under Jared Bednar since Patrick Waugh quit on the team, to see him walk away now, to see this happen now when you are right there, right about to win, even if you win in a year or two, I mean, no one's going to give a shit about Gabe Landeskog if the Avs win a cup in a year or two without him, but you're still going to have that feeling of like number 92 should be the one getting that cup. And if that happens, I'm sure he'll feel a little bit dumb, but he'll be rich, so who cares how dumb he feels? Exactly. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. Every player kind of plays uh, plays their own risks in this game. Ryan O'Reilly played a risk, and he won. Uh, here's another guy, Gabe Landeskog, who might play a risk and might not win. You never know. You ideally want it to end like Alex Petrangelo, where the divorce happens after you win your Stanley Cup, but that's not the case. The Avalanche kind of crapped out this year, so here we are. But, uh, you know, that's just the reality of it. That's, that's where we are. Speaking of the Ryan O'Reilly trade, just really quickly, the two parts of that trade left on the Avalanche are Brandon Saad and JT Confer. If Brandon Saad walks, and if JT Confer gets taken in the expansion draft, boy, does that trade look bad for the Avs. But, you know, that's, that's Years beyond the later, point. Years later, whatever. Years it looks later. worse for yep. Buffalo. Um, so I feel like that's a good place for us to stop. One last real quick shout out to Philip Grubauer for playing in uh, the All-Star Celebrity Softball game. As a German, I can't imagine his baseball skills are up to par. So uh, probably took a lot of bravery out of him. I wonder why he played instead of anybody else. I don't know. And and to me, it kind of says, hey, I, I care. Uh, Sackick, please me like i'm i'm staying here i'm i'm playing in this community event i want to be here i want to win a cup here so sign me don't trade for kemper don't do all those other things keep me on board please all-star week was fun i uh i went to the home run derby and it was a blast literally one of the best events i've ever been to and it made me think we're we're right around the corner we got to be due for an nhl all-star game here in town it's been 20 years i it, it's been a long time. It was 2001 the last time they got it. That would be awesome for the Avalanche to host one again. That would be a lot of fun. So, yeah, I guess uh, that being said, I think we've covered everything that's happened in the last week. And, of course, we'll be back next week to cover everything that happens in the upcoming week. Anything else you want to get out there? No, that's that's pretty much it. I think we'll be back either Wednesday or Thursday after the expansion draft. We'll talk about that. But uh, I'm going to make one final prediction, and I think the Seattle Kraken are going to take Donskoy. I think that's the guy that goes. I'm with that. I, I agree 100%. Sticking to what we said, I think, uh, last weekend's pod or last week's pod. But yeah, 
um, you know, let's hope for uh, good news on the Landeskog front and hopefully no bad news that we have to talk about on the next podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we out you.